because for me it's like it wasn't even when I was at the top of my career I was still missing a, so much such a big piece such a valuable piece of my life and that was to solidify my relationship with with God and to find my worth not in the eyes of other people but in the eyes of my Heavenly Father mm. and in my own self I didn't really have that you know, that's still something I struggle to this day it's something I've always struggled with but it gave me the confidence not in myself but in God that I needed and I feel like I would have been a very maybe I would have been successful but I would have been very lonely and I would have felt very depressed Almost a decade ago, I met David Archuleta and I said, David, I want you to be into the cultural hall. And he said, I'm not sure what that means. And I said, I'll be in touch with you and we can get it figured out. And then, you know, life. And he was traveling all over and he served a mission and all of the things that brought him to the great success that he has today. Sure, that was great for him, but it kept him from being in the cultural hall well in a very special, very last minute, had to give it to you as a special episode of the Cultural Hall, I was able to sit down with David Archuleta. So, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you know that you will get several extra episodes here in the month of December. Why? Well, if I'm being honest, it's because I've got a lot of timely things to share. And if I'm also being honest... I really want to try and convince you to become a Patreon subscriber of the Cultural Hall before the end of 2020. The website, patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. There is the $3, the $5, and the $10 tier. And quick heads up, that $3 tier going away at the end of the year. That's right going away. You won't be able to be a $3 Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. Don't forget that that allows you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group. If you do it, do it today before it's too late. Yeah, that's sort of salesy. Yeah, do it today or whatever. There, that's a little easier. Let's get to this episode with David Archuleta. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall, and I'm excited. I don't know that he knows how excited I am for this episode. We're visiting with David Archuleta. You know, singer, songwriter, American Idol. All the things. Uh, I'm sure that we'll get into some of that, but uh, this episode with David Archuleta is coming about because he has a great opportunity for all of us to be able to hear, watch, uh, and feel the spirit of Christmas with him. But it's been almost 10 years in the making, David. I met you almost a decade ago and asked you, hey, would you be willing to do this? And you said yes, but because you've had so much success uh, in the last 10 years, we haven't been able to do it until now. So thank you for being here. Oh, sure thing. Now, um, one of the things that... giving up on me. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't give up on you. Too many people wanted to hear uh, kind of your story. I know it's a story that you have, have probably told quite a bit, but how is it that you got to where you are? And I'm talking like the really early, early first time you decided that you could sing that kind of stuff let's go there the first time that i realized well i think there's a difference between when i realized i could sing versus i realized that i liked singing so i, I started singing when i was six years old and it was when my dad played a tape of les miserables as a pbs special and my dad was really into musicals his whole family were in musicals and plays and when he was little and so i think he was just wanting to pass, share that we were moving into a house so he wanted to keep the kids busy <laughs> and so he put that on and 
I just was captivated by it. I don't know what it was. I was just in kind of in a trance from the music and the melodies. And I kept playing it over and over and over, like for the rest of the day and then the, <laughs> the, the day after and really the whole week. I, it was, uh, I don't know what, why it did that to me, but it did. And my parents got amused by it. So then my dad would play some other songs. They had me... I wasn't the best at learning whole songs. Uh-huh. So my parents sat me down and there was a song called There is a Castle on a Cloud. And so they sat me down and had me learn the lyrics and the whole song itself. And so I did. And then my dad would continue putting things in front of me like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and Evita and just other musicals. And I would just continue listening to the songs and the melodies and I think more than anything, I was captivated by the melodies. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what the songs were talking about, mm-hmm. but um, um, they had me learn like another suitcase, another hall, which didn't make sense because <laughs> the first line's like, "I don't expect my love affairs to last for long." But I didn't know what that was. Yeah, you're was you're six, seven eight, years old, going, years old. "I don't know." Okay, mom. Okay, dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I don't think they really paid attention to the lyrics either at that time. But uh-huh. as I got older, they, my dad more so started becoming mindful of the lyrics and started saying, hey, David, um, actually, well, it wasn't until I was a teenager, really, you know, that my mom started having me learn, like, Selena songs, mm-hmm. Selena Quintanilla, because uh, she was a fan of her. So I started learning those songs. And then my parents started singing at a Mexican restaurant called Garcia's in Bountiful, Utah. And, and ju- just as like hired musicians for like singing during the busy hours of dinner time? Yeah. Oh. Or, yeah. And um, my, my parents, my dad was a jazz musician and my mom, she liked to sing as well. So they, uh, they would go and play like salsa music. They both were in a salsa band, <laughs> like a, a few years after I had had my musical fascination and they invited me to go sing with them. And I thought, I don't want to sing in front of people. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, I I thought it was just like, okay, you know, you do what your parents ask when, you know, he would say, you know, learn this song and sing this song. And I was like, sure. You know, I didn't have anything against it, but, Mm -hmm singing in front of people i i didn't want to because i was like no that sounds like i'd be embarrassed by that and yeah. i would feel like people would boo me off the stage that was just always the imagination i have that people were gonna dislike me i was gonna inconvenience their dinner time and <laughs> they're gonna walk away and leave because who's this kid singing really loud in yeah. my face while i'm yeah. trying to eat my mexican food but you know i i remember there's a really nice waitress server who would come and listen so they had me sing some christmas songs so i think i learned i saw mommy kissing santa claus which i hated that song yeah (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know who's i didn't know why santa would be kissing my mom yeah yeah what a a dumb song to sing again speaking (laughs) to the lyrics there are some questions in lyrics that i just don't think that we ask (laughs) and we give things a pass but (laughs) yes and so i was just like I don't like this song, but I didn't, I don't know. I didn't speak. I wasn't the kind of kid to speak up. So I just learned the song and sang it. And I think I learned another one that was a little more spiritual. Mm -hmm. And 
then my dad had me learn a song called Angel. Uh, oh, I did. Wait, this was, I will say, the only reason they got me to sing at the restaurant is because my parents said I could order anything I wanted off the menu. <laughs> so, well, singing wasn't a motivation for me. Food was. Was it a burrito? <laughs> what are we? What are we talking about? What was the? Uh, what no, was that thing was, on the plate? It was a cheese quesadilla. Mm. So we didn't. We didn't. It was a very. It was a luxury to go out and eat, and for my family, mm-hmm. it wasn't something we really did. We wouldn't go to restaurants. My parents said it was too expensive, and so when he said, my dad was like, David, if you come sing with us, you can order anything you want off the menu. I was like, oh, anything I want. Wow. And that was definitely worth it for me. So I was like, sure, I'll sing in front of a bunch of people I don't know and don't want to be seen by if I get a free meal out of it. Yeah. So that was it. I I saw that people were amused by me, but I didn't look at it as, oh, people are enjoying this. I just looked at it as people are amused that this little kid is singing in front of them. And that's, that's all I took it as. But then, you know, I would start singing a little more like my family and my parents' friends would want me to sing. Oh, and then I started singing in the ward choir. Yeah. <laughs> my mom my mom was in the ward choir and I did like to sing and I liked the idea of singing with other people because then it's like, okay, you know, I'm, it's not all about me. It's I get to sing in the choir. And so I was, I was like nine years old. And so I would, I was a soprano <laughs> at the time. <laughs> But I will say, I enjoyed that so much. My mom was in the alto section. I was in the soprano. But we were singing. I remember the first song we learned was For the Beauty of the Earth. Yeah, it's a great and one. There's just some, yeah, there's just something so different about getting to sing those kinds of songs versus I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And I just, oh, I just loved it. I didn't want to miss a week of word choir practice. Yeah. <laughs> I just loved it. And then we learned... During Christmas, it was the Hallelujah Chorus, and For Unto Us a Child is Born. And I'm telling you, I just, I really loved singing those songs. It, it was, it just hit differently. You you had to um, have known, though, as you're looking around the, the ward choir as a nine-year-old, that you were <laughs> the only nine-year-old that was in the ward choir, I would imagine. Well, here's the weird thing. I, when I was... A little kid. I didn't get along with people my own age. Uh-huh. It was it was hard for me. I I don't know why it was so challenging, but I felt a lot more comfortable with older people. Mm-hmm. So I was a lot more comfortable in a ward choir with the adults than I was in primary with mm-hmm. in Sunday school class with children my own age. And I'm not sure why. I I was very very quiet. I didn't really peep. <laughs> <laughs> I always sat next to the door. I was always just very afraid. So I always sat next to the door, up against the wall. That way I felt like I wasn't trapped with the other kids. I don't, I'm not sure where that came from, but once I was in ward choir, I felt like I could, I was myself. I could, I could loosen up a bit and I could sing. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was because I, I liked to sing and I had a high voice. So I didn't want to be made fun of for the adults don't make fun of you as much as other kids do. Right. How does it go from for the beauty of the earth and that little bountiful Mexican restaurant to begin to competing to then being on a national and international stage? (laughs) Well, the year after, no, maybe two years after my parents put me. So my mom then started having me learn songs by Celine Dion 
and Whitney Houston. So those started introducing me into the more the less classically musical esque types of performances into like the bigger like the diva <laughs> kind of performances. And so I was like, sure. So they had me learn a couple of Celine Dion songs and I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston. And that's when my dad's when I started learning the Whitney Houston song, my dad got amused because he's like, Oh, like he doesn't just sing musical and like oh kind of just straightforward types of songs that you would sing like in a Latter day Saint church or on a in a Broadway musical like mm-hmm. Okay, like when Houston's more like soulful and kind of belty, and he was amused that I could sing that as well, and I and I liked it. I kind of I connected with that as well. So just like little by little, I started getting introduced to more of the soulful stuff, and so my dad started teaching me how to do riff, like he's like, look at this, like the riffs, and he wanted to. My dad's a jazz musician, trumpet. He wanted to teach me how to improvise. And like change up songs, which I didn't really grasp at first. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, it's why, difficult. Why it, change it up? When it, yeah, it was difficult to, because it's like you have to think outside of the box. And my dad was like, it's a language. Like he's, he really takes, he's always like very much with jazz music. Like, oh, jazz music is the only only good music. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he liked, he was like, it's a language. It's, you know, listen and you can hear the, the, like their own voice in the in the music they're communicating and the way they're expressing themselves each person has their own taste it's their own voice and i was like okay whatever dad like it just sounds like a bunch of notes to me <laughs> but uh, he would sit me down and like i was homeschooled for half of my life so you know for homeschool a lot of times my dad would want to teach me jazz <laughs> mm-hmm. like music classes and improvising and learning how to express yourself. And so he wanted me to learn my own language. And I was like, oh, I can't stand this. This is so obnoxious and so annoying. I just want to go rollerblade yeah. <laughs> and, and play my Nintendo 64. Uh-huh. So he he started working on I Will Always Love You with me, Whitney Houston song. Mm-hmm. And so he taught me a little bit of riffs. I didn't come up with them myself, but he, he taught me some of them. And then... My parents put me into the Utah Talent Competition. Uh, it was 2001, so I was 10 years old. I was so mad. Because <laughs> one, I hated competitions. I didn't like comparing myself to anybody. And then um, the fact that I had to sing in front of people and be critiqued, <laughs> I, didn't, I just hated that idea. I don't know where the hatred came from <laughs> for that. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, I don't want to do this. My parents would sit me down and say why they thought it would be good for me. And I was just like, I just resented them. I thought they were like, how could they do this to me <laughs> kind of attitude. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to get, I, I look at it as I'm going to get humiliated. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why would you think it would be a good idea for me to be <laughs> in a competition of singing? Just because I like to sing doesn't mean I'm good at it. I hate it. Like my dad would sometimes, if he would record me singing and try to get me to watch it, I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What, what makes you think that I'm going to watch myself sing? I don't <laughs> like hearing myself sing. I think it sounds really bad. I, I really don't like the sound of my voice. I would leave the room. I'd cover my ears. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I also was just obedient. So I, I, I'm, I expressed, I was very vocal about the, I normally didn't speak up, but I, I definitely spoke up about not wanting to be in this competition. So 
I went in, I sang, I will always love you. And it was actually, it was a, uh, a black church that ran the Utah town competition and they kind of funded it. And so the audience was mainly black uh-huh. and I thought, Oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm so weird. <laughs> yeah. You're singing this Whitney Houston song I, here in this church. Yeah. 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 And so I was, I got a panic attack backstage. Oh no. I, I started hyperventilating. I couldn't breathe properly. I was feeling very anxious. And so all of the people running, all the church members that were volunteering and helping with the competition, they're like, it's okay, hon, you don't have to do this. (laughs) I was just freaking out. And my dad was like, no, it's going to be okay. Like, he didn't want to give up. And so he's, he's like, David, why don't we find a room and why don't we go say a prayer? And see how you feel after that. And I was like, <laughs> I think I just nodded. I, I couldn't speak. So we went into a room and we said a prayer. And he's like, how do you feel? Are you okay? And I was like, I'm like, okay, I think I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I really didn't want to do this. I didn't want to, but you know what? At that point after the prayer, for some reason, I was like, you know what? I think it's okay. I think I can do this. And so it was like right before I had to go on like a few minutes and I go up to the people and I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. Like, okay. Okay. So they go up and everyone's kind of like a chair. Like they're all like, so now it's suspenseful. Like this kid just had an anxiety panic attack and like, is he going to be able to get through this? Uh-huh. Yeah. People, people are on the edge of their seat going, is he going to make it through it? We've seen what's happened already. And yeah. Yeah. So I go up, I sing, you know, my dad was like, David, you should sing the first part acapella. And I was like, I'm probably not, I don't know if I'll remember the key, but I go up and sing the first part acapella like she does in the recording. Mm-hmm. I start singing and I, this music, I started the, the song, I started acapella on the wrong key. So I was a little upset about that, but I just continued. And it's, for some reason, the audience really was amused by that. They were amused that I, like, I'd, I'd always hit my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> if I didn't like something I did, I would hit my forehead. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, but it was just, but then uh, they were surprised because I, I did sing the soulful riffs like my dad had taught me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was a black audience. So it was, they were just so amused. <laughs> yeah. And they just started clapping and they all got up on their feet and they were just cheering because... They weren't expecting that. They just, and I wasn't expecting them to be so amused by it. I had just had an anxiety attack, <laughs> freaking out, thinking I was going to get booed off the stage. And so I ended up winning the kids' division of that competition. And so my dad was filming me after, and he's like, So are you? And I got like $300, which was a ton of money for yeah. me. Yeah, 10 year old kid, so that's a ton of money for anyone, but. You know, for, for a young kid, that I mean, that's that's like winning a, a million dollars. It was. I was like, wow, okay. So I, I gave, so my dad was filming me with the check and like the trophy. And he's like, he's like, are you still mad at me that I had you sing in the competition? And to be honest, I was like, I'm like, why are you asking me? Of course I am still mad at you. <laughs> like, <laughs> as a 10 year old, what I don't, what am I going to do with this money? And I don't care about competitions, but I, the thing about it was it helped me realize like my projection of what was going to happen was 
my, my prediction was that I was going to get booed off the stage yeah. and that people are going to be disgusted by hearing me because I'm like, well, that's how I feel. Why wouldn't it, other people feel the same way? But it, it was the first time that it taught me like, okay, maybe I don't, maybe I'm not disgustingly terrible. Mm. Mm. <laughs> maybe I don't suck at this. Mm-hmm. And, but I still didn't think I was very good at it. I thought they were, I just assumed these people just think that it's cute that this little kid is trying to sing a song and it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I was very uncomfortable. So I didn't think much of it. And then, you know, the money, I didn't know what to do with it. So I was like, my parents said, okay, pay your tithing. So I paid my tithing and then I gave the rest of the money. I gave the, the other $270 to my grandma. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you do. That's what you do. It's grandma tax or something, right? I don't know. I, I guess it's usually the other way around. But my, <laughs> my grandma, was, she was poor. She lived in Florida. and she, uh, I knew she wanted to have a farm. And so I just gave the rest of it to her. And so, and that was it. And my parents were like, why? when they find out, found out, they're like, why did you do that? I was like, well, what else am I supposed to do with it? I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I mean, my parents already provided everything I needed to me. So I guess, but anyway, then the year after is when American Idol first premiered, the first season, Kelly Clarkson, Tamara Gray, Justin Guarini, if people remember that Uh first season. And that is, that is when my musical world just changed completely because it was the first time that I got to watch singers actually perform songs and be themselves, hear their story, then sing a variety of songs. It was when I was introduced to artists like Stevie Wonder, mm. and I just, I couldn't believe it. Tamara Gray singing, and I'm telling you I'm not going, just forever changed the path, because it showed me, it was like theatrical, but soulful at the same time, and I was just like, this is crazy. So it was when TiVo was a new thing, so we could finally record what was on TV. And I would just watch that like nobody's business. Like instead of playing video games, I was now watching American Idol and watching it over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And that forever changed because that's when I really started to sing soulful music. After that, my parents put me in um, Star Search and it actually, there was a show called The Jenny Jones Show. and one of my dad's employees at work and also who was like a handyman around the house, he, who would fix, he knew how to fix everything. His girlfriend at the time had said like, hey, I was watching the Jenny Jones show and they're looking for future Latino singers and I think your son should get into it. Uh-huh. And, so, and so they had me record and I'm telling you because I'd watched it on American Idol. And so I sang it on the show. They, had me, they flew me out to Chicago and on that show was one of the contestants from American Idol named A.J. Gill. He was in the top 10 of that season, first uh-huh. season. Uh-huh. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, it was my first time meeting a celebrity. <laughs> I'd been watching the show so faithfully. And then they, they gave us the same room to share, like the, the, the waiting room before we go on stage. And I was like, oh, my gosh. This is so – I felt so strange, like seeing someone in person that I watched on TV – and he got a real kick out of me singing. And so I became friends with him. And then um, my dad surprised me with tickets to, this, to the American Idol finale. And that was just incredible. I just couldn't believe it. I was just like, wow. Mm. And, and then we go somehow, we, it's a long story, but we <laughs> run into one of the other contestants, Nikki McKibben, who 
sadly had just passed away recently in the last few months. Yeah. But she, she just, we, I was with my aunt who's from California, Laurie and, and my aunt goes to Nikki's like, Hey, can you say hi to AJ Gill? We're friends with him. Uh, my nephew's friends with him. And Nikki just said, Hey, you know what? She, she like brings her quick close and whispers in her ear and says, Hey, we're staying in the hotel right next door. If you come around this time, AJ and the rest of the contestants will be there and you can come say hi and meet them. Oh, wow. And we don't know why she told us that. <laughs> it was, I think it was just divine. And so we go the next day and AJ's out there and he's like, what? It's David and Dave and AJ brings me over. And he's like, come on, I want you to meet Tamara. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this, <laughs> this lady is like a superstar to me and like, totally influenced, changed my direction of music forever, showing me how to sing soulfully and expression. And um, they bring me in and they have me sing for her and like the other contestants. And then they keep having me sing for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I sang it like three times in a row because other contestants kept coming out until Kelly Clarkson and Justin Guarini finally came down and they had me sing for them. Wow. And Kelly was like, oh, go, go. Oh, what was your name? David. <laughs> And I was like, Archuleta, and like, David Archuleta, she's like, oh my gosh. That, I think, was the most boost, the biggest boost I could have gotten. That I had been watching these people every day, yeah. every week, since the show had been. And there I was somehow in front of them singing for them, and they were cheering me on and rooting for me. And I, that really changed my perspective. And then I started singing soulful music. I became known as the Utah, the kid from Utah who sang songs. Yeah. I, I, I want to uh, jump in here real quick. Let's take a quick break. When we come back in the second block, I know that we are going to run out of time. I can already tell. I love your story. Um, but I want to make sure that we hit kind of what's going on now and, and some other pieces as well. Let's take a break and come back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Ho, ho, ho. This is Danta Claus from PC Laptops in Salt Lake City. Would you like to save huge, massive money this holiday season? Don't throw out that old computer. We can transform that old, slow, or broken down desktop or laptop into fluffy, high-speed goodness, no matter what brand it is. Just bring your desktop or laptop computer in for a free diagnostic. The diagnostic is 100% free, and there's no obligation. We're so great at making computers faster that if we can't fix or upgrade your desktop or laptop, we'll buy it from you. Have I lost my mind? Want to trade in your old computer? We have brand new lifetime warranty desktop computers from $7.99 and we'll buy your old computer. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC laptops, desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Call us at 1-877-596-7283 for details or check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com, where we love you. LDSBookstore.com supports the Cultural Hall, and that is why you should shop online at LDSBookstore.com. Now, if you need a Christmas necklace, that's another great uh, excuse, another reason, if you will. If you need a Christmas nightlight, they got those two journals. You want pictures of temples, you want things embossed, you want cool things lasered into wood. Yeah, you heard me, lasered into wood. They do that as well. LDSbookstore.com is where you need to shop online for all of your wares, your LDS wares. That stands for Latter-day Saint, in case you uh, you needed that explanation. You didn't. LDSbookstore.com. Support them because they support the show that you love. LDSbookstore.com. 
here in the second block of the Cultural Hall with David Archuleta. Now, I know because of time, I'm going to need to sort of amp this up a little bit uh, as far as the pacing of things go to say, so you ultimately get on American Idol. And I remember being a Utah resident, it's like Utah lost its collective mind that David Archuleta was on American Idol, everyone, you know, hoping and, and, and quite literally praying that you would win uh, your season of American Idol. It's you and the other guy. I don't even want to mention his name. No, I'm just teasing. But it's, you're down to the top two. Talk to us about what the final of American Idol that season was like. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was known as a season with David versus David. Uh-huh. Um, David Cook and, and myself and we got quite a kick out of it because as I had mentioned before, I wasn't really competitive and David Cook wasn't, to be honest, most people on our season weren't really, there wasn't a competitive nature and it kind of surprised the, the producers and the people who worked on American Idol. Cause I don't know. I think <laughs> all of us were kind of fine. It's like, yeah. Well, if we get kicked off the, this week, whatever. <laughs> yeah. They're like, can you give us a competitive edge? And you're like, we're just really grateful to be here. And he's a good guy and she's a great gal. And you know, we'll take whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was very interesting for sure. And I just, I mean, things really blew up from that point and something that had happened in between when I had, when I was like, 12, 13, and the time I was on American Idol was at the point when I was starting to think, okay, maybe I am supposed to do this. Like, maybe music is part of my future in life, is when I started having vocal issues mm. and I started having problems singing. And I thought, oh, and we all thought, oh, his, my voice is changing. Mm. Okay. And, but then my breathing started being affected and my speech, I was getting really sick and, it had been almost a year straight that I was sick and it was like, okay, something's up. There's something wrong here. And I went to near nose throat doctor and in California and they said, Oh, he, uh, well, I'm the guy who's put the camera, the scope down my throat. He said, Oh, I've never seen that before. Yeah, which is never and something that, that you like, want to hear. Yeah. I was like, um, that's not what we, <laughs> yeah. And so he brought in his, the doctor above him. So the first doctor is Dr. Nasari and the other one was, or Nasari and the other one was Dr. Sugarman. And he was just like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, Oh. And they're like, um, you have, he's like, you have vocal paralysis. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, well, it means one of your vocal cords isn't moving. And at least it was partial. It was, it wasn't complete, but it was partial. And, He's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Hmm. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> this is great. Like, this is, um, I didn't know what to think of that. And so I kind of, and so my dad was like, comes in. He's like, so is there a, what do you recommend we do? And he's like, well, you could try surgery. And that most likely will permanently, if, at that time, it was, he's like, that most likely will permanently damage his voice. Mm-hmm. It's like, I would say maybe try ther- physical therapy voice therapy for a few years mm-hmm. and see if, if that does anything. He's like, I'm, he's like, I'm sorry. I don't, I really don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, so I started going to voice therapy, um, with, uh, in Utah with Dean Kalen. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd, I'd been working with him up until like to this day with Dean from that time. 
I, I went to voice therapy for a few years with him, but I kind of looked at it as a punishment from God. Hmm. Tell me about I that. Like, I, I was like, I must have done something wrong. Like in my, tw- I think I was 13 at this point. In my 13 year old mind, I was like, well, I've done something to deserve this. Huh. I've done something that God has cursed me. Yeah. <laughs> and I looked at it as a way as like, well, I think maybe this is God saying he doesn't want me to do this. Hmm. Hmm. But I, I don't know why I adopted that mindset, but it was. And so I, you know, I went back to school and just was studying, and you know, I, I kind of I would perform every now and then, but I couldn't sing more than two or three songs mm-hmm. because that just my voice wouldn't allow me to. And so I was really hesitant about singing even one song. But when I was 16, and American Idol happened. You know, I was, I was like, well, can I do this? I don't know if I can. Um, oh, and everyone wanted me to, but I was like, why do you think I would do this? Like, I can't sing very much. Mm-hmm. And you have to do a lot of singing on that show. Yeah. But um, I was like, well, has the therapy helped? You know, am I able to do that? And and so my dad was like, David, I will fly. I'd fly down with you to San Diego and let you audition. If 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 you want to. And he's like, why don't you pray about it? Hmm. And again, I was just like, something really struck a chord with me. And I was like, there's something telling me, like even before this happened, like something was really pushing me to go audition. And I didn't know why, because I was like, God's punished me. Like, yeah. I'm not supposed to do this. And right. I need to figure out what else to do with my life. And um, so I went up to my room and I said a prayer and I was just like, Oh man, I feel really dumb for praying about whether I should go audition for a reality TV show. That just sounds like a really weird thing to pray about. But I said, you know, I feel like this feeling I'm getting and nudging is coming from you. And I wanted to know if that was the case. And I just, it was just normally it doesn't happen when I pray, but this time it was just so clear. I just felt like someone was speaking to me like, I was kneeling by my bed and it felt like someone just came next to me and knelt down beside me and put their arm around me kind of experience. And I just heard someone say, my son, I know who you are. Go and audition. There's something you need to learn. Hmm. Hmm. It was very, very specific. Yeah. I was, I was actually shocked. I was just like, that wasn't what I was expecting. Usually it's like, oh, you know, I've got a good feeling or, you know, what, I think I've got, you know, <laughs> I think I'm calm enough to think clearly. It was just like, tell, like, I'm telling you, like, listen to me. And I was just like, whoa, okay. So one, I realized, yes, go and audition. But the bigger thing was I realized that God knew who I was yeah, and that he cared enough to actually respond to my prayer. And that was a huge deal for me, especially I was very low, lack of confidence, very low self-esteem. You know, I was thinking God had punished me because I deserved it. And I'm a bit, you know, a terrible teenager. And <laughs> those things. But I went and auditioned and I was like, Hey, I need to learn something. But, and yeah, I clearly learned a ton, a sure. lot more than I expect anticipated. It was really, really hard. It was the hardest thing to this up to this point that I've ever done. It was very taxing emotionally having to worry every week about what other people thought of you. I wasn't competitive and here I was having to get critiqued compared to things I really didn't like. And 
it was just really hard. I was like, I don't want to let anyone down. A lot of people are watching. A lot of people are, are, I don't know what to think right now. And it was, it lasted from January till May. And it just went nonstop from that point. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I made it to the, to this finals as runner up to David Cook. And I, I wasn't expecting to be there that long. Mm -hmm. I thought I'm going to audition for this to learn something. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still here yeah. five months later. You're like, what's going on? And, and now I'm like known by millions of people and I don't know what I'm supposed to do with myself. Like I'm still an insecure teenager trying to figure out who he is. Right. And now everybody's watching me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, well, and it, and so. I think for a lot of people, like you mentioned, with the uh, the early story, you know, in that first performance at the church, right? Like people are so engaged because they can tell not only that you have the love for it, but also that there is some other stuff going on behind the music, and so people are are just naturally drawn to you, whether it was in that talent competition, whether it was you with American Idol. And and even I think that that transcends into what you're doing today. I have to ask you, though, you're on this show that you're recognized internationally. You have this amazing thing. You're a runner up to David Cook. And then you you make the choice to serve a mission for the church. I, I, I don't know that I had any reason to think that you wouldn't do that. But what was the reason that you decided to do that, to sort of break away from this? momentum that had come after being on American Idol to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a minute and go and go serve God. Well, I, I grew up, you know, in Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. My parents were both, um, my dad grew up, you know, he was born and raised a member of the church. And my mom, she had joined in Honduras. She's from Central America. So she, had, she and her family had joined when she was living down there. Mm -hmm. And then they moved to Florida so that's where my parents met in Florida. That's where I was born. I was born in Miami. But I grew up learning those. I grew up learning about missionaries. My mom would tell me about the experience that she had when the missionaries, or at least my grandma would. My grandma would talk about when the missionaries came and taught them and brought them this message of the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his church and prophets and apostles and baptism and and it was so powerful to me and to hear how the missionaries had changed their life. I was just always thought, yeah, that's, I felt very dutiful. Like I felt like that is something I'm going to do when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And in primary we'd sing, I hope they call me on a mission. And so I just assumed that I would, you know, and I, I just, I, it's not like I didn't want to. It's like, it was something I always looked forward to, even though I was very anxious about it and scared. And when it came to the point where I was old enough, I was like, well, I wasn't at a place of life that I was expecting to be, mm -hmm. but that didn't change what I wanted to do. Um, the only hard thing was I, I always felt this inferior complex, kind of a, like, I always felt unworthy. Like I was like singing. I never felt I was good enough. Yeah. Always battle. I, I still have had to this day. It's just a battle I fight. And with the mission, I was like, I don't feel worthy to... You know, if you're supposed to be like representing Jesus Christ and teaching people, bringing them to God, I don't feel worthy to do that. I don't feel good enough. And so I just constantly fought that feeling of not feeling good enough, no matter how much success I had had checked off um, in other people's eyes. It was always something that I never felt worthy. And so I was... But at the same time, it was that feeling, that same nudging feeling I got when I was 
auditioning for American Idols, this feeling saying, this is something for you. Like, this is something intended. And this is what I, like almost God saying, this is what I had in mind for you. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to follow me, I'll take you this way. Hmm. And that was scary because it's like, I'm like, mm, it's like, is that really a feeling I'm getting? Yeah. Myself? <laughs> Am I overthinking things? Sure. Like, how can I tell? I don't know. But when it comes up enough, and I really had like the spiritual journey after American Idol, and you know, it, I, it became a real priority for me to like to listen and to seek God mm -hmm. in amidst the craziness. And um, I had a couple of key people who helped me keep me on track. You know, my dad, we've had a rough relationship. He's very opinionated. He's known as a stage dad, mm -hmm. but he prioritized. He was like, David, do you realize, because once I figured out like messages and songs, that thing, mm -hmm. um, and how important that could be, my dad was like, David, do you realize that people can feel the spirit? There's an opportunity for people to feel the spirit when you sing a song. Yeah. And that you can create moments that will allow people to feel that. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just in church on Sunday seeking God. It was like, how can I seek God in every song and provide a moment for people to feel that? And that was like a real challenge for me. It was really hard to mm -hmm. like, how do I make this sound good? But right. also like give people a spiritual opportunity. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm overthinking this again. <laughs> if I'm really, if there's real people are going to really feel anything, but then, and then like one of my keyboardists on tour, she was a member of the same church as me and started inviting me to go to church because I wasn't going to church for a little while mm. because I was just super busy. Sure. But when I started going back with her, she was like having me read the scriptures with her. And it was really just an uplifting experience. I realized wow, I need this. Mm -hmm. I, I really value this. This feels so good in comparison to everything else. Mm -hmm. And I'd released an album. My song was being played at the, on the radio at the time. I was doing all these shows. Mm -hmm. I had a fan base. I was on TV a mm -hmm. lot. And mm -hmm. um, doing these, you know, like Hannah Montana and iCarly. So like with the kids and, and then everyone else knew me from American Idol. And, but in comparison, just the simplicity of, God and his gospel and following him and was just such a contrast of emotions. And both of them were handed over to me. And, and I was told that this, that they would bring me happiness, huh. like each to its own, what is going to make me happy. And they both did make me happy. But in comparison, the simplicity of the gospel was so much more valuable to me so much more edifying, brought me so much more peace and clarity that I was like, wow, there's no comparison. Yeah. And I realized I needed more of that in my life because I wasn't able to make room. People, there's so many people in the music business. There are a lot of great people, but there are a lot of, there's a lot of just people who are willing to tear you down, to, to, to wring you out to, for every last drop and then kind of throw you aside when they've exhausted you out yeah, and kind of leave you, leave you there for the vultures. And I think I needed to, t I think God more than anything, more than just to be a good boy and serve a mission. I think he was just like, David, I need to give you a break. Yeah, I need to give you some spiritual nourishment and some one-on-one -on -one time with your father, your heavenly father.
And so the mission, I didn't know exactly why I needed to go at first, Mm -hmm. but once I was there, I realized, oh my gosh, like, I feel like I can breathe again and I can, I can reassess myself about what actually matters because a lot of my peers in the music business who are my same age, like I always wonder, like, well, if I, if I had, if only had not, you know, a lot of people are like, if only you didn't quit, if only you had kept the momentum going, like you would have been in such a better place in your career than you are now. And I, but I kind of look at the people who I was with and yeah, some of them are doing a lot, a lot of them actually are doing really great in their careers, but I feel like I would be missing something that they're, I wouldn't have gotten. I, I don't see in myself had I continued in the same direction as them, you know, because for me, it's like, it wasn't, even when I was at the top of my career, I was still missing a, so much, such a big piece, such a valuable piece of my life. And that was to solidify my relationship with, with God and to find my worth, not in the eyes of other people, but in the eyes of my Heavenly Father mm. and in my own self. I didn't really have that. You know, that's still something I struggle to this day. It's something I've always struggled with. But it gave me the confidence, not in myself, but in God, that I needed. And I feel like I would have been a very, maybe I would have been successful, but I would have been very lonely and I would have felt very depressed. And, uh, you know, you have to be willing to do a lot to be successful and famous. You know, they always were trying to push me to be edgier (laughs) and sexier and all these things. And and it's like, you know, and I, so many times I had to say, actually, you know what? That's not something that I'm, it is in tune with what I want to do. And they're like, well, don't you want to be famous? Yeah. Don't you want to be heard by millions? Don't you want to be like, you want people to hear you, don't you? This is how you get heard. This is how you get seen. And I'm like, but what's the point of being heard and seen if that's what people are going to hear and see? Yeah. And a lot of people in the business, they'd be like, David, you're such a nice boy. Yeah. <laughs> People like you aren't, don't survive in this business. <laughs> and I was just, we're like, come on, you, you know, you've got to be willing to do what it takes, you know, because a lot people, you know, the people I worked with, they liked me, so they wanted to see me do well, mm-hmm. but they were a little frustrated because they're like, come on, like, just do, it's what everyone else does, it's yeah. how they get to where they are. And I'm just it, like, it's a literal. I, it's a literal. Everyone is doing it. Is <laughs> what this is. Come on, everyone is doing this, David. I I want to take one more quick break. Uh, when we come back in the third block, I want you to tell everyone about this amazing show that you've got coming up. And we have three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll come up and do those in the third block here of the cultural hall. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, now this is very exciting. Uh, If people are listening to this in real time, there is still an opportunity for them to uh, see you in this amazing Christmas show. Tell us about what this is and how people can watch it. Yeah, well, um, it's with American Heritage, with the Heritage Chorus and Lysium Orchestra. 
and it'll be December 12th, Saturday, and it's going to be a Christmas concert with all the students of Heritage, and we'll be singing a lot of my Christmas arrangements of songs, and I've never done an online <laughs> orchestra show, uh-huh. but I think it'll be a really neat experience for people who get to watch, and for those who buy tickets, it's actually a, it's a benefit concert, so when they buy a ticket, the the proceeds will go to the students for their music lessons, for their instruments, and just for their movement forward with music, which I think is a really so it's it's a it's a win win experience for everybody. Yeah, you get to uh, to experience that online show. Which warning, just so you know, uh, I have been told from other performers that not having that. I mean, you're used to performing to the thousands. It's different when it's the camera and the camera guy, and you're like, how was this? And he's like, real good, David. It was real good. And you're like, okay, I hope everyone else, I hope everyone else felt that. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you, did, you don't have a real love or connection for I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Do you have a favorite Christmas song? <laughs> I would say my favorite is, is Oh Holy Night. Oh, yeah. I really love that song. It's just so, it's so big, but it's so sweet, the message as well. Like, it, it has it all for me. I just love it. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we will have in the show notes for this episode a way that people can get those tickets to your concert. Um, I'm hoping that if they're listening to this after the fact that there will be a way that they can make a donation and be able to see that amazing performance, but encourage you to do that. Um, again, that link in the show notes for this episode, or you can go to davidarchuletachristmas.com and uh, purchase your tickets and be able to to help music go for the next generation and then the generation after that. Now, David, there is uh, three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and so I want to ask those of you now. Um, the first question is, do you have a calling currently, sir? And if so, what is it? I don't. I don't have a calling right now. <laughs> it if you could pick one, uh, whether one that exists or just make one up, what would you pick? Make one up. Um, I mean, so for a while I was the gospel principles teacher in my ward in uh-huh. Tennessee. I live in Tennessee now, and that was fun. So they, I did that for several years, and I really had a great time, but I was gone so much that I... <laughs> yeah, tra- <laughs> traveling on the road, I... Yeah, I, I always wonder how uh, folks like yourself are able to do so the some of those sort of regimented callings. I know I'd probably be able to do it now that they have it online because yeah. <laughs> I could teach from anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, it, I, I did enjoy that. I love to get into be with people who are learning about um, our church and our beliefs and the principles of the gospel. I just it, it brings it back to the, how simple things are to to build our relationship on God and on Christ. I really love that as a visitor, just, you know, in, in my mind's eye, I see the situation where, you know, I'm sort of investigating the church and I go to this ward in Nashville and, you know, I'm going to the simple gospel principles class. This is obviously pre-pandemic, of course, because we're meeting in person and I, mm-hmm. and I sit down and, and then in walks David Archuleta, my teacher. I think I'd be like, okay, what, what kind of church is, what is happening? Where's the camera? Is some, is this on, you know, is this part of a reality something? That would be fun for me. Now, the last question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, uh, we ask you to interpret it however you will. Um, but the question is, is what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part of my faith? 
Well, I guess for me, my favorite part of my faith is just that I get, I feel like it allows me to see God. And I, I feel like there's no, no greater good that you can experience than to know him and, and to feel him, see him, speak with him. And so for me to be close to him, uh, that's how, that's the way to do it is, is through faith and through my faith and including just the beliefs that I've been raised on. Mm-hmm. That's what it helps me see. And so there's, there's no greater, there's nothing more good than that in my life. And I owe that to my faith. You know, we, we have, uh, I didn't know how long you would take to answer some of those questions. So I did rush a little bit. I would be curious to know, you have mentioned a few times within the time that we've been talking, uh, that feeling of not feeling good enough or that no one would want you know, to hear you sing or, you know, self-esteem or however we want to package it. As someone who's tremendously successful and have mentioned that, you know, it's something that you still struggle with, for those that also find themselves struggling with something like that, what would you say to those folks? Well, I would say um, something that I've learned is to just give yourself time away from worrying what other people think of you Mm -hmm. and just take time to be still and be aware of who you are Mm. and be compassionate for that person. You know, if you're compassionate to other people, um, be able, if if you take time to be still and be aware of you, you're able to look at yourself more objectively Mm. and yeah, provide yourself with compassion and give yourself the chance to see the potential in you. And maybe that's hard. Um, I, I know there are times where I've just from the beginning, like there is no potential. What potential? (laughs) There's none in there. But I think that's where maybe taking a moment to, after taking a moment to, by yourself, then seeing who you're led to go spend time with is what's helped me. Um, someone who's maybe not a part of your normal day to day, but like a friend or a relative or a, a neighbor, mm-hmm. <laughs> a neighbor that you don't really know and just spend time with them. And like, I would just be like, is there anything I can help you with or ask them about themselves as you spend a little time away from thinking about yourself. And for me, it's like, I was a a little obsessed with thinking about myself, but in a negative way, I was obsessed with thinking about how terrible of a person I was and that I wasn't going to succeed or I'm a has been or whatever comes into my mind. I'm a failure. I've, I'm, I'm dumb. I've, I've messed up. I'm, I deserve to, you know, I'm unworthy and I'm, I deserve nothing anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, just take a break from thinking about yourself and just spending time with someone else, learning about them, um, being there for them, helping them, or just talking, asking them about que- questions of their life. It's, it helps so that they can, you start seeing yourself through someone else's eyes. Mm-hmm. That, that has helped me a lot. And, and just by thinking of other people, I think that's where my mission was such a big thing for me. It, Instead of giving me constant time, you know, in interviews, I'm always talking about myself. Like mm-hmm, we just spent mm-hmm. an hour talking about me, mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, and that's how it was. Every it seemed like every day of my life for four years yeah. after American Idol, yeah. to take time on my mission and think of others for two years was a huge, huge benefit for me. So I just it doesn't have to be two years, but it could be a day or an hour or yeah. fifteen minutes of doing that. David, it took us a decade to get this to happen, but I'm glad it did. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, 
that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.